Halper Show. On this episode, we talk to the amazingly hilarious stand-up comedian and actor Judah Friedlander about his new book of sketches and cartoons called If the Raindrops United. We also chat with Judah about the 2016 presidential race, gentrification, Cold War 80s movies, and the drawings Judah made as a child. Plus, you'll never guess who had narcolepsy. Spoiler alert, it wasn't Judah. And here is a shameless but totally necessary plug. If you like The Katie Halper Show, please, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, rate it, and review it. It takes about a second, all right, maybe 20 seconds. All you have to do is rate it and review it. And then, please, if you want to support The Katie Halper Show and WBAI and Community Radio, please, please, please go to www.givetowbai.org. That's the number two, not the word, givetowbai.org. And check out the amazing gifts that you can get if you donate to WBAI, including a really cool CD from the Chalk and one pair of tickets is still left to In Your Face New York with Sarah Jones and a Katie Halper Show comedy bundle, which includes three DVDs, three DVDs, guys, it's crazy. That's Ted Alexandro's DVD, Justin Williams' DVD, Julie Goldman's DVD, and a CD from the Hilarious Chalks. Also, you can become a BAI buddy and pick my show as your favorite. Thanks so much. See you next week with Ta-Nehisi Coates. That's right. Ta-Nehisi Coates is coming on the show October 28th. Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. It is October 14th, 6 p.m. A little after 6 p.m. Yeah, let's be honest. Let's it's be like honest. 6:04. It's a little bit. We're on a little bit of a nonprofit schedule, so NPS nonprofit schedule. NPS exactly. If it's a Wednesday, anytime before seven, basically, you'll hear the Katie Halper Show. And I'm joined, of course, as always, by my uh, co-pilot. The Gabe one and Pacheco, the only. The one and only Gabe Pacheco, very funny man, stand-up comedian. Reggie is uh, in Arizona. Out of town on a vacation. But luckily we have Tony with us on the on the soundboard. And we are so thrilled, so excited to have with us, hashtag MBD, Judah Freelander is here in the studio, live. Hey, how's it going? Good, you? I'm cool. I'm supposed to talk now, right? Yeah, you can, or if you want, totally you can do some it. stretching. Nah, whatever. totally knew it. You totally, we're such, I'm a professional, we're so you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it's cool to be here. This is a, a cool little building you're in. I yeah. notice a lot of other uh, cool little companies here. Yeah, organizations. Yeah, you got the newspaper, the Independent. Right. I like that one. Were Which we is, trying to keep it as an undisclosed location that we were broadcasting from? Yeah, did we bu- just get our cover blown? We just did, and the FBI is showing up in about two seconds. Thanks Sorry, a lot. I, can, I can fight the FBI. That's not a problem. It wouldn't be the first time. No. It wouldn't be the last time. No, it would have been the first time, because if I fought him before, there would be no FBI left. So. <laughs> well said. Yeah. Wow, I like that. So we're so excited to have Judah with us because he's a very well-known, very well-respected, prolific comedian and actor. Wet Hot American Summer, 30 Rocks, a stand-up all over, The Wrestler. And you have a very good book. Not that I've read it or anything. Listeners out there don't know this, but there is a copy of Judah Freelander's new book. It's called If the Raindrops United, and I kind of nerded out on it with some post-its. It's kind of like a beautiful mind. You know that movie with... Yeah, I'm looking at your copy of the book. You must have about 
30 or 40 post-it notes singling out different drawings and cartoons yeah. in the book. And I have them annotated. We're going to get into it later, but Great. basically, I wanted to, just so everyone's on the same page, some of our listeners may not be that familiar with your work. I want to play a clip of some of your work. Oh, the... okay. So I'm not doing it right now. You're no, actually... no, no. I'm going to play it. You have it archived. I have it archived it. and downloaded. I think this yeah. is the stand-up bit I do about Christopher Columbus Day. Oh, yeah. I'm talking to someone in the crowd who's from Argentina, and then I tell them about how we have some weird holidays here, and then I start telling them about Christopher Columbus Day. And when is this from? Just so we all... I, this was, I mean, I've been doing the bit for a while, but this particular clip is from August, from the Comedy Cellar. Argentina, we have a lot of weird holidays in this country. We have Christopher Columbus Day. Have you heard of him? It's about Christopher Columbus. He's the guy who discovered America, even though there was already a million people living here. For thousands of years. And he called them Indians because he thought he landed in India, but he landed in America. But they just kept calling them Indians, and then they pretty much slaughtered all the Indians. And we have a holiday celebrating that guy. It's kind of weird. How should we really celebrate Christopher Columbus Day? Here's a thought. You know when you're up in a big building on a high floor, and you're going back down in the lobby? but the elevator's crowded and someone else has pressed floor three, but you weren't paying attention. So when the elevator stops on floor three, you get off because you think it's the lobby. And instead of realizing that, and then walking back into the elevator and admitting that you're a moron, being like, hey guys, sorry, I'm a fucking idiot. I wasn't paying attention. I thought it was the lobby. No, you don't admit it. You just stay on floor three and you pretend it's the lobby. And then you murder everyone on floor three. That's how we should celebrate Christmas Columbus Day. Just a thought, just a thought. Judah Friedlander on Christopher Columbus. How do people respond to that, by the way? Well, you heard the crowd. It gets huge laughs and uh, applause. Right. Yeah. But a lot of countries have weird holidays, but um, most don't have one that celebrates the person who discovered their country, even though they probably really didn't discover it. Right, yeah. right. I actually have a... Uh, I wrote this, like, last year, and I published it again this year, but I thought maybe you'd be interested in it, Judah, because it's some scary Columbus Day quotes. Okay. And you can incorporate some of them into your act oh. if you want. Okay. These are quotes that he said? They're either quotes about him or quotes that he said. Okay. So here's something that he wrote to King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. This is like really adorable. They willingly traded everything they owned. They were well built with good bodies and handsome features. They do not bear arms and do not know them. For I showed them a sword. They took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They have no iron. Their spears are made of cane. They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. Yeah, I think I had read that that uh, that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. That's not usually taught in history classes. Right. This but, I, uh, I found yeah. from um, Howard Zinn's A People's History. Yeah, great States. book. Nice mm-hmm. guy. Got great it guy. on Audible right now. So many hours. like 32 hours Really? Long. Do you? Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah, it is really good. And then, this is the best one. If I had to pick a favorite, this is not Columbus, but basically Columbus was such a mensch, he let his guys do whatever they wanted with the natives. And one of his men, who was a childhood friend of his, Michel de Coneo, describes in a letter how he raped a native woman. 
While I was in the boat, I captured a very beautiful Carib woman, whom the said Lord Admiral, that's Columbus, gave to me. When I had taken her to my cabin, she was naked, as was their custom. I was filled with the desire to take my pleasure with her and attempted to satisfy my desire. She was unwilling and so treated me with her nails that I wish I had never begun. But to cut a long story short, I then took a piece of rope and whipped her soundly, and she let forth such incredible screams that you would not have believed your ears. Eventually we came to such terms, I assure you, that you would have thought that she had been brought up in a school for whores. So... You should use all of this. I think this. And who was that a, person? Who this said is that? one of Columbus's childhood friends who he brought with him to. Oh, one of his discover, buddies. One of his buds. Oh, his bros. okay. One of his bros. Yeah. Wow. Um. He. Yeah. So that's who he yeah, says. That's that's uh horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And I. What's the the best thing about this is that I I wrote this and someone on Twitter was like I I appreciate the sentiment but those seem really unrealistic. Do you have sources for any of those? Yeah. And everything was linked in the article. Yeah. Well, you know, that brings up an interesting point, you know, where something I've found, especially when you're when you're talking about I'm like digressing from comedy here for a second. But when you're talking about when you're talking about any kind of like human rights issues or trying to get people to understand your point of view, you know, whether it's women's rights, whether it's Black Lives Matter, so many people just biologically and naturally, I think cannot understand someone else and their point of view. Many people cannot understand something until it actually happens to them and they're there. Some people can. Some people can, you know, imagine what it would be like if they were a completely different person in a completely different environment and infrastructure. Uh, but I think I think a lot of people, I don't know if it's most, but many can't. So, Lack of uh, so when a person's... Uh, Saying that, I think I think there's two factors because there are some people who 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 intentionally refuse to see anyone else's uh, problems. You know, most people in the world, no matter what where they are in life and where they come from, life can be tough. You know, no matter who you are. So I think many people they put blinders on to all these other uh, issues that aren't maybe their issues. You know, um, and then there's the people who literally just. You can tell them everything you want, and they just can't really fathom it unless it actually happens to them. So when you have those two factors going on, uh, you know, that makes creating change and anything very difficult because you're up one thing that's natural in a lot of people and then one that's intentional. And then some people might have both going on. So they can be really hard to change, you know. But um, So like a you're saying that maybe there's a – some people have a lack of empathy – and yeah, and then I think even people who are often, you know, demanding change, uh, and, you know, there's no one right way to do it, you know, but sometimes those people don't have empathy for the people that are oppressing them or, or misunderstanding them. Right. Sometimes I think, you know, there aren't as many bad people as you really think they, there are, and, uh, you know, through openness and kindness and warmness, you might be able to win over more people than actual fighting. But then there are many s- situations that have happened throughout time where being warm and open, op- open has not worked at all, and, and you have to fight. Right. You know, so... <laughs> like the Native Americans. Right, thing. right. Coming full right. circle. Right, exactly. Human rights are never just given to you. Right. You know, like you, they, you always have to... They have to be fought for right. by... Usually for decades, at least, right. you know, uh, to get any kind of change. So... You know, the Frederick Douglass quote: oh, "The power concedes nothing." Yeah. Uh, I have to. So it's like so when and someone sends you a comment like that, it's like 
I wouldn't even get upset. You know, that oh, that's yeah. almost no, to be expected. Right, well, you know? it, it was just funny because usually they're really hateful or they they call me names. Yeah. But this was funny because I felt like she was trying to be conscientious. Like I really un- I appreciate your sentiment, but yeah, they're being passive aggressive. Yeah, passive aggressive, and yeah. also like just they're under they're underlined words. That, yeah. You know to to click on. Um, but you're right. That's. It's I mean, I'd rather fight hate with love, but you know, yeah, I you can't her, always I, do it I, that I way. But her. I mean, even when I'm doing comedy right. and I'm doing jokes about very serious issues, I, I try to be very careful to one not preach to the choir because I find that kind of not that challenging right. and not that interesting. A waste of you know, time. I want people on the left on the crowd, people on the right on the crowd. I want them both to be laughing. Right. I don't want just one one group laughing. You know, because to me, then the the bit's not really that great of a bit you know it's it's you, you should be able to get it to a level so that so that everyone's digging it even if they don't agree with you i mean that that's pretty cool if you can do that so that's that's kind of what i aim for so this book that you wrote if the raindrops united which is uh cartoons and drawings yeah I in stores october 20th can Tuesday, people october pre-order can people... yeah they can certainly pre-order it. how do we how they, do they can post order it pre-order it <laughs> Uh, just Google it. It'll take you to any site. They all sell it. You know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound. Yeah, if you go to my website and pre-order it, there's there's actually a promotion going on where you can get a uh, a free signed free poster, poster of the yeah. book cover sent to you also. So that's then, where you want people to go then. No, you go wherever you want. If I don't, they want they, the you may not want. You, what if a person hates posters? They they shouldn't have to go yeah, there. Yeah, poster phobes count, Gabe. Poster phobes yeah. count. So I. Uh, and then um, I'm doing a couple of big events. If you go to my website, judahfriedlander.com, uh, you'll see I have many tour dates. I'm going all over the country, Canada also, doing all kinds of events. And some are just stand-up events. Some are just bookstore events. And then some are a combination, oh, where it's nice. a stand-up show and you get the book also. Nice. Stand yeah. up and sit down and read. Yeah. You do all of that. So I was curious because so much of your book, which is cartoons and drawings, is very political. Some of it more overtly political, some of it less overtly. But sure. I want to know what kind of political education you had as a child growing up, how political your parents were, if they weren't political and you kind of found it on your own. I mean, I think they both were. I think my dad was more than uh, my mom. And, uh, and you know, in the dedication of the book, I actually... I dedicate the book to my mom and my dad, and and my mom, uh, you know, always did you know tons of artwork and all kinds of of, of art, and you know she, she so I was doing art since I was a little kid, and then my dad I just you know have memories of him really just sort of I remember you know lecturing me about always you know questioning authority and but not in a boring way no no but don't it. don't believe everything you hear don't believe everything you read especially when it's coming from the television right and you know. it's really fascinating the, this is real right because in the beginning of your book you actually have unless i'm being really gullible yeah yeah no oh, in, in the book awesome. i have a drawing from when i was 10 and one from when i was about 11 right so you you have i've been doing stand-up when I, since i was 19 but i've been drawing since i was a kid here's one yeah. i did when i was 10 and then can you describe it and then oh yeah well there's this one guy uh, who's not saying anything, and another guy comes up to him and says, what you doing? The guy just stands there blankly saying nothing. And then the guy asks, what you doing again? The guy still says nothing. And so the guy's like, well, this is weird, walks away. And then a little kid comes up there, sees the guy, and is like, hmm, nice statue. So the guy was, the joke is... The other guy was uh, staring, was trying to talk to a statue right. the whole time. That's pretty precocious, humor-wise. Yeah, I was right? ten when I did that. that was, you can see yeah. the date; it's nineteen seventy-nine. That's great. I... And then I did one. 
I remember in, I think it was sixth grade, we were studying about uh, uh, Lekwalesa and, uh, and, uh, and Poland and Russia conflict. And uh, so I found this cartoon I did of Lekwalesa in a, in a Russian jail. And uh, I don't even know if I fully understand what I was trying to go <laughs> for in this cartoon, but I think it's kind of like... Uh, I was like, it's kind of neat. It's like, wow, I was really into that stuff. And that's, so there's a picture, there's an image of, is that him? Well, like, yeah. Well, and he's yeah. standing behind bars. Yeah. And it says Russian Zoo. Yeah. And what, do you have any idea what the... I'm not sure exactly what that is. I, I, I don't know. I think it's, you know, he was, uh, you know, imprisoned, I believe, near the Russian border in Russia. And so I guess this is me thinking... Here, here, Russia is trying to parade him around, right? Treating know. him like an animal. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So that's kind of cool that you have yeah. like, this insight into your child. Yeah. Uh, well, they were like, I feel like for people um, before the uh, Cold War ended, Russia was like a, a much bigger like bad guy, like a boogeyman. Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I mean, when I was a little kid in school, I mean, and even in the movies, if you look at the movies, you can look at Rocky Four, which was Drago. I think came out in '84. It was basically. The Russia was the evil empire, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my favorite from that time period was Red Dawn, the first Red Dawn. When Red the, uh, Dawn is a great film. That was John Milius who directed that. Did he? That's yeah. yeah. And it had uh, it had my favorite Swayze was up in there. Not bad for a bunch of kids, huh? Just Swayze, Charlie Sheen, Jennifer oh, wow. Grey, C. Thomas Howell, Powers Booth. Wow. Yeah, basically, um, Russia invades America. This is the emergency broadcast system. We are under attack by conventional forces of the Russian army. Large areas of the Midwest may have been overrun. And a rural high school football team basically fights uh, the Russian Empire. They're gonna kill us! Stop us! So why should we be different? Because we live here! the end of the movie there's scrolling text in like historical text acting like all of this really happened it was the movie could not have been more more serious but it's it's completely ridiculous but it's great at the same time but it's yeah but it's great at the same time and it's pre the rise of sort of the nerds that have taken over now and that it was the the american football team the heartland that fights back yeah and then you know there's a they did a a new version a few years ago uh i think a lot worse yeah i still enjoyed it a lot it was uh i mean it was they're both you know kind of definitely you know preying on people's fears and you can call the films propaganda, probably if you want. Was but this, uh, were they so the from new the ones? They're no, no, they're uh, North Korean. Oh, great! But okay. when they filmed the movie, they were Chinese, oh. and then Hollywood realized, oh wait a second, our movies make a lot of money in China, right. and That's a China's uh, we do a lot of business with right. them. So they actually went in and I think dubbed all of the actors' lines into Korean. Wow! And they made them North Korean. Yeah. No. Something interesting. I was listening to your um, to you on a podcast, Marina Franklin's podcast. Yeah, which is great. And someone said something about you being a Jewish comedian, and then I heard you say that you don't really identify as Jewish. And well, yeah, it's weird. You know, my dad's Jewish, my mom's Catholic. I was kind of, you know, I wasn't bar mitzvah or anything, and uh, we didn't go to church that often. I, I mean, I think I went a few times. You know, my mom would take me and my brother and just show us around the church and tell us about uh, all different things, especially around Easter. But that was only a few times. And, 
you know, we would go to the holidays sometimes, some years and some years not for Jewish holidays the to the holidays. synagogue. Right. You know, but, you, you know, as, as the older I get, it's like I feel like I I can relate to both on a uh, cultural level, but not a religious level. I mean, I'm not, I'm not religious. Right. I don't think I ever was. I mean, I remember being a kid, and then some people find out you're Jewish, and they some of them would actually think you're like the devil or something. Have horns and a tail. You, you know, and then, you know, moving to New York, um, you, you realize that there are some people who, who are Jewish, and they assume you're Jewish, and they know you, and then they find out that your mom's not Jewish, and all of a sudden, they behave so nasty to yeah. you, and they, they, they act like you just murdered their dog or something. And I'm like, wow. It's that's either, you uh, either murdered someone's Jesus or someone else's dog. Right? Yeah. A lot so, of blood on our hands. So I've, I've definitely had very negative feelings right. towards me from just random people I've met who thought I was Jewish. And then they they find out that, you know, my mom's right. not Jewish. And then they, they it's basically like they look at me like someone who's a fraud right. who is trying to swindle them out of uh, all of their life's uh, possessions. My cousins you know. are, their last name is Eisenberg, but their mom is not Jewish. And right. my, I come from a long line of Jews who do not celebrate any Jewish holidays and also do not care if you marry a Jew. Right. But what's interesting is I had an experience where I used to never identify as Jewish because I wasn't religious. And as I've gotten older, the more people tell me that you're not Jewish if you're not religious, or the more people tell people I know you're not Jewish if your mom isn't, the more I've like clung to my Jewish identity. Interesting. Kind of out of defiance, but also because the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict, very easy uh, issue to talk about, because right. of people like AIPAC who say that they represent the Jews and they have a very hawkish position, uh -huh. I feel like I it's my responsibility also to say I'm a Jew and I don't actually see it that way. Gotcha. My name is very Jewish, right. so it, it is deceptive, but... You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm never forcing uh, any kind of identity I might have on anybody. Right. So for me, it's not really can you that take much off of the Jewish star that our listeners yeah. can't see. He has yeah. a huge yeah. Jewish star blocking but, his entire torso. But face. you know, for me, it's uh, you know, I, I think all religions can be great and can be bad depending right. on on how they're used. But you had you a know. great line during this podcast about Hitler's. Oh yeah, that was yeah. My friend Mike Weiss. Uh, I can't remember. He either came up with it or he came up with it together, but we were talking about this. And I remember visiting the uh, the Holocaust Museum in D.C., and it was they had all these, uh, it was like a, a medical exhibit, and they had all these charts. And, uh. and one of the charts was on, on how Hitler uh, decided who was Jewish. And basically, uh, if one grandparent was Jewish, he considered you Jewish, and then you were basically targeted for extermination so and then if you look at many jews in this country today uh if your mother's not jewish uh you're you're not jewish and it's like you're worthless so right. in some ways hitler was more inclusive of jewish people right. than jewish people yeah some today. jews have a lot of tolerance that they could learn from hitler yeah seriously but so. it's funny because i that was my standard Le like legitimately whenever people were like you're not jewish she's not jewish i'm like look if you're jewish enough for hitler you're a jew yeah because i think that and i not even facetiously like i think that defines a lot of your identity is the way you're treated or not treated by sure. society right? yeah like when people say obama was raised by white people it's like he walks down the street and the world sees a black man and they always saw a black man when he sure. was a kid, you know. Can we come up with a new Jewish process? Like, 
couple episodes ago, I made someone an honorary Jew. And oh, maybe okay. you, we can get like some kind of stamp or badge. Although I'm, I'm not looking Jews, to join any group. I know, but yeah. I, I just feel like it would be good if there <laughs> if you were, want to add me to something, right, that that's can I fine. Put you if, on the listserv? Yeah, if you want to do that, you do what you want. Right, you awesome. know, cool, but yeah. you know that that's. That's your thing. If I had to say I have one identity, it's that of uh, an outsider and someone who doesn't fit in with with anyone. Right. You know. Um, but it's funny even a, a even amongst ago, comics, I wouldn't right. put myself in one clique with amongst the comedian community because even amongst like stand-ups, you know, there are there are different cliques and stuff. I'm not even in any one of those. So I'm right. that that's. That's the only thing I identify with is just being alone. World champion. <laughs> I would say. A lone yeah. wolf. A lone yeah. rogue. Okay. So we are going to take a very short musical break. This is the Katie Halper Show. We're talking to Judah Friedlander. We are talking to him about his book, If the Raindrops United. We're going to talk more about the drawings and cartoons in that book. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the debates. Um, we're going to play a song that is pretty related to the Columbus Day joke that we just heard Judah doing and it goes a little something like uh this January 20th 1964 some rednecks said Indians can't fish here no more natives said we've been fishing here since before here was here sucker this is what we do February 27th 1964 a few Indians said we ain't taking this no more We've been taking care of these salmon since before. Christopher Columbus raped for the first time, sucker. This is what we do. Marlon Brando was an actor. Uncle Billy made him a fact. Harry Belafonte schooled him and took this white boy in. Marched on Washington with James Baldwin. Wasn't trying to be a savior, but knew that someday equality would win. March 2nd, 1964. Uncle Hank brought him two o'clock in the morn. Meet us on the Puyallup to get all these white folks scorn. See if they have that same scorn for you, cause this is what we do. March 2nd, 1964. Marlon Bob come and some more. OG's got arrested on those beautiful shores of the Puyallup for natives doing exactly what the hell natives do. Welcome back to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper, here with Gabe Pacheco and our special guest live in studio, Judah Friedlander, talking to us about his book, If the Raindrops United. We're going to be talking more about that book of drawings and cartoons. That, by the way, we were just listening to Gayasi Ross, an activist, poet, and lawyer. And we also want to tell you a special little heads up. If you like me, maybe you hate me. Hopefully you like me. Hopefully you like Gabe Pacheco. Hopefully you like this show and you want to support it. You want to take it under your wing and hold it close to your bosom, as my English teacher in eighth grade called it when he was talking about Hester Prynne's bosom. Um, you can support the show for for like almost no money, literally almost no money, like uh, the price of a, an expensive cup of coffee. You can pay $10 a month and you'll be supporting the show and you become a WBAI buddy. And you get all these perks. You get, like, not only do you get a tote bag. I mean, everyone gets a tote bag when they do that kind of stuff. But you get all these perks, like zip card discounts, the Joyce Theater. And 
it, it'll help us continue the show. If you like the show, if you've liked our conversations with Jelani Cobb, Rebecca Carroll, Ali Garib, Margaret Cho, Nate Silver, Claire Potter. Maybe you want to hear Ta-Nehisi Coates. That's good because we're going to have him on October 28th. When? October 28th, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Go to give to WBAI. Okay, give to WBAI.org, of course, because we're a nonprofit. Give to WBAI.org. And Judah, thanks again for joining us. Always here for you. Thank you, always. Yeah. You've been here from the beginning of this show. Yep. Of this episode. Yeah. I want I've actually been here for every episode you've ever done. This is my first time speaking. It's true. Judah sits in the corner. You get really involved in trance, and you meditate, and we forget you're here, even. That's L- how. Like a guardian angel looking over like our shoulders. Angel. I thought I was sleeping. You can call it meditation if yeah. you want. I was trying to give you, you know. The it's okay. Of the doubt. You were sleeping. That's. I was trying to pretend that the show was more enticing than it actually is. Oh, okay. But you also have narcolepsy. That's the disease, right? Where you fall asleep. I think. I don't know if it's a disease. Maybe it's a disorder. Oh wow! Look at you, Mister PC. <laughs> Wait, who has narcolepsy? Uh, well, I was joking that you did, and that's oh. why you fell asleep. But guess what? Newsflash, you guys. It, this sounds like a joke. It's not. Guess who had narcolepsy? The disease where you fall asleep. Guess who had it? Harriet Tubman. What? Can you think of a worse? position to be in than leading an underground railroad at and falling night. asleep at night like hey guys just make a turn or what's that and she did it so many times she's like she's already this brave total badass hero without having a sleep disorder like like no warning sleep onset attack disorder anyway way to go Harriet Tubman like that much more impressive so I thought we would talk about um the debates last night okay and then uh because Again, people know that you're a very talented actor and stand-up, and um, you're, you know, you're probably, I guess, do most people who, who talk to you on the street recognize you from 30 Rock? Is that the biggest? It's a mix, you know. That's That's been the biggest one for several years, but now it, it, it's a mix, you know. When I'm rock, walking around New York, I think more people know me from stand-up. Right. But, uh, you know, if I go anywhere, I would say 30 Rock. Right. Um, and then, like in American Splendor, you're you that was yeah. A, hardly anyone remembers me from that. Right. Although that, that's probably the the best movie I've been in, and certainly I don't know if it's my best, but one of my best right. performances. And you got nominated. You got a. I got nom- a yeah. I got a lot of accolades for yeah. that. I got nominated Indep- for an Independent, Independent Spirit, Spirit Award, Award for Best right. Supporting Actor. That's great. And then uh, some, uh, you know, USA Today I think named me Best Supporting Actor of the Year, and New York Times Magazine did like their picks of like their favorite actors of the year and i was right. i was in that so you are yeah, it was a pretty cool man it was pretty cool and you make hats you make your own hats right? yeah yeah so but not to, i mean i'm joke everyone i'm sure you think i'm being haha renaissance man but you kind yeah. of are you have a an an oddly eclectic group of talents well that's cool thanks yeah. that's a nice compliment sure. i'll take it yeah t- i'll do it i'll write a blurb for you i'll just handwrite it on okay. all the copies of the books great it's very it'll be very diy great. um so what did you think of the debates you you had some great tweets about that oh well i only saw about the first 20 minutes of it um i thought it got off to a bad start with cheryl crow singing the national oh, anthem my, could she not <laughs> have chosen a song in her range i know we don't have that many yeah, national that was, anthems but first of all a, a Poor rendition yeah. of the national anthem, and just, I mean, I only watched parts of the Republican debates. Did they do the national anthem no. before the debate? I I thought it was such a weird, desperate attempt yeah, to make us look like we're not anti-American, know, and it's really... like, who are you? What was what was that all about? They should have had the you Pledge of Allegiance too. I mean, like right and before. I have I have nothing against 
the the national Cheryl, anthem or Cheryl Crow. But but that was just such a odd choice to do it before a debate. I'm like, let's get to the debate. Stop wasting airtime. And it was really, I she's a good singer. That was not. I mean, maybe she. You know, there was gone a baseball game on last night. If you really wanted to see the national anthem. Yeah. Watch it and listen to it there. Right. It, it was just odd. It seemed like a very staged, fake kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And what I'm looking for in a debate is for candidates to be real, not be fake. Right. So they started out with something so fake, and I'm like, how's it going to get real after this? Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be really boring because whoever planned the GOP debate before the Democratic one really dropped the ball because you always want the like funnier comedian at the end, right? And I just thought that the comedy gold had already been spent. But there were surprisingly funny moments. Like uh, Jim Webb really pulled through. He really came through, I think. And uh, who else? Oh, Lincoln Chafee, I feel so bad for him. Like I just wanted to hug him the whole time. I found him so endearingly awkward. It almost made me want to vote for him. Yeah. And when he described himself as a rock, a rock of granite, was that it? With the integrity of a granite. He has granite. He's granite. But I was like, having... you're insult. What's it called when you... I don't know anything about sports, but I know that the thing where you kick a ball into your own goal. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, an own goal. Okay, that's yeah. like he own gold himself. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. an insult that someone should say about you. You don't, like, insult yourself. But it was cute because he thought he was saying something nice. But um, And I was just waiting for, like... Jim Webb seemed like such a robot. I, I had this fantasy, and I, I, it wasn't a total fantasy. Like, I had some stock in it actually happening, but I wanted, like, Joe Biden to rip off the mask of who we thought was Jim Webb and reveal himself and just declare that he was entering the race. Oh, that would have been cool. Awesome, right? That would have been a good entrance. I think so, yeah. too. Um, I like that Jim Webb's daughter is a massage therapist. I didn't know. I didn't get that far in the debate. How did know. that? How does that come out? He just was talking about his family, what they do. Oh, you know. okay. She was the third one on the list. He almost forgot her name, and then he, he did. And then he, he was did, like, yeah. tried to low key slide sense. in that she was yeah. a massage therapist. Yeah. Yeah, low key slide in. That's her. That's actually her technique. The low key slide in, her massage technique. Um, and of course, you tweeted, "My favorite band is Jeb and the Holograms." I like that. Oh yeah. We. You should start uh, a hashtag. That's what Republican bands. Yeah, maybe that that's not a bad idea. Yeah. You or any political bands really. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I just liked how uh, Bernie Sanders uh pronounced uh, the word blunder. He blunder, said right. he says blunder and I'm like that's actually kind of a double blunder. Right. Double blunder. You mispronounced blunder. Well, I said that I I told people I was available for simultaneous translation for the New York Jewish accent. Um, I think some people don't know, and they think that's a Vermont accent. Yeah, no, he he is a New York accent. So thick. Of you know, not many people in New York City have an accent anymore. But my uncle uh, does. Yeah, he has yeah. one. Older Jews who have those New York accents like that, they say the R when there is no R, like idea, and then they don't say the R where it is, like yeah. Blunda, Blunda, Mother. Oh, interesting. And who do you like, by the way? Which candidate? Do you have one in particular? You know, I mean, uh, I I lean. Uh, I'm very progressive, so I'm, I, Jim Webb, I, all I the would way. lean towards you know <laughs> the more progressive candidate. I don't, I haven't decided who I'm going to vote for or what party. Oh, so the Whig. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. last time, last election, I think I voted Green Party. Right. Uh, I mean, the person didn't have a chance, but I think we, the country, really needs to get out of this two-party system too. Well, he's a socialist, just, though, Bernie. At least well, he calls himself a democratic socialist, yeah. so I don't know. That's full on socialist or not? No, but I mean, but. hearing someone say to the to the potential nominees for the president of the United States, "Is anyone else on the stage not a capitalist?" I was yeah. like, "Schwing!" Yeah, <laughs> really exciting yeah. moment. 
Um, I thought that this was an interesting clip because here we're going to hear Bernie Sanders explain why he has the gun position that he has. And it's yeah, he's different. actually pretty pro-gun, yeah. Well, relatively, yeah. He's talking about how it's in, in rural areas, exactly. gun laws should be different than in urban areas. Right. And, and I think he is right. I mean, I talk about, you know, gun issues in my stand-up act, and I perform all over the place. Right. And definitely gun laws, first of all, the gun, the gun stuff in this country is, is absolutely horrendous. But, yes, the dynamic of guns in a rural area is completely different than a dynamic in... Uh, urban area yeah. but you know i would agree but that's but what's hysterical you know, how you deal with it's a whole other issue right now and what's hysterical is though i like the way he says this because listen to the voice of the man talking about coming from a rural area we can raise our voices but i come from a rural state and the views on gun control in rural states are different than in urban states whether we like it or not our job is to bring people together around strong common sense like gun legislation strong I strong i love i come from a very urban area <laughs> like the most brooklynese thickest yeah. brooklynese accent he's like i come from a farm we, i raise chickens we and played I have a gun. stick ball we played right. stick ball on exactly. my farm yeah we shot craps i don't even know <laughs> what that means and i also liked it when he defended hillary about the emails and i right, think he may right. have won hillary's vote for real legit for president yeah she may maybe be they'll team up those yeah. two i know I, I actually that kind of made me happy so i was looking through your book if the raindrops united and a big theme here is gentrification and yeah. real estate yeah can you talk about that sure i moved to new york in 1987 and uh my dad's actually from brooklyn when he's bernie sanders when i was being raised uh you know wasn't in new york we were in you know different places but mostly maryland and so we would come up in the, you know, I remember coming up to New York in like, I think 1981 as a kid. And it was just, the city was just, it was just, you know, it was just so impressive and diverse, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, for years, I hadn't lived in Manhattan. I lived way out in Queens, you know, a mile past the last stop on the subway wow. in a, in a non-gentrified neighborhood area. in queens not rural but you know non-gentrified neighborhood you know a neighborhood where literally you know families have been living what there for generations this was middle village queens oh, okay you know and uh so i would still be coming to the city every day to do different work or you know do shows at night but when i moved back to manhattan uh about a little under two years ago it really just the the classism uh in manhattan and I would say half of about half of Brooklyn at this point was just staggering. Um, and when people say New York, they're usually referring to Manhattan, right. and they talk about it being the melting pot, the Big Apple. Uh, when you're in Manhattan, it's such an odd city because not only is it almost everyone is wealthy uh, or ultra wealthy uh, who lives in Manhattan, um, and that means it's mostly people are mostly white, and, you know, fair amount of Asian. The, that's that's the dominant and and wealthy and ultra wealthy uh but when you have uh a whole city like that first of all it's rare to have a whole city be wealthy you know and new york has always had wealthy and ultra wealthy but it was never the majority you know and when you have a city where the teachers uh you know policemen firemen subway workers uh mail delivery people when all the service industry people and the blue collar people, when every all of them are working in the city, but none of them actually can afford to live in the city, that's just not a healthy dynamic at all. 
And what I've also noticed about Manhattan is the bubble mentality, where so many people who live in, Man- live in Manhattan, they and even people who are visiting, they really think they're in the midst of this amazing, diverse city. And I'm like, it's actually quite the opposite. And many people just do not see it. Uh, the, so many of the people who live in Manhattan really live a resort you know, four-star hotel kind of life, you know, where they own an apartment. There's a door person who does everything for them, whether they're really supposed to or not. And uh, it's just this odd, it's so odd, you know, and, and uh, so anyways, I just started seeing it just more and more. And I think moving back, you know, really just made me see it so much more. And I think it's also, Another reason I've seen it more is that it's 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 it been increasing, you know, it, it, the the classism and has been increasing. You know, uh, New York is uh, a much less diverse place than it used to be. Right. Uh, so I think it's a combination of those things. So, you know, a lot of that stuff that is stuff I think about a lot. So, yeah. So some of the uh, drawings and there's even a, a mini comic book in there, a 10 page comic book in the book called uh, Gentrification Man. And Gentrification Man is the first superhero uh, for the corporations and the ultra-wealthy. You know, he stands up for their rights. And how long does it take you? What's your process? I can't believe I just asked you that. But what is the process when you're doing something like this? Do you get an idea, sit down, do it? Do you make yourself sit down in a disciplined fashion? It's a mix. The Gentrification Man was an idea I had. That popped into my head, and I'm like, okay, this is not a stand-up bit. This is like a movie or a cartoon or a comic book. So that, I, I started writing that one first and then sort of with stick figures kind of drawing, drawing it out like how I wanted to map it out. And then I drew it out and was rewriting it as I went. Um, many of the drawings in the book, I literally, uh, I started doing, you know, a year and a half, two years ago. And, I, you know, I always carry around pen and paper and I just start doodling on my paper or a lot I even drew on my phone with a stylus pen. Oh, wow. And I just start drawing them on there, uh, sort of as a way to initially to combat anxiety. And then, because, you know, my, my mind races a lot. I think about a lot of different things. And sometimes when I'm reading, uh, and I like reading, but I'll just, my mind will just wander off somewhere else and start thinking about all these different things. So, and as a, so, so sort of as a way to combat anxiety, as well as just to get my thoughts out there and take a break from just focusing on stand-up all the time, you know, start, I started doing some drawing, and I, and I thought it was, uh, I found it very relaxing. So you and, did it as a kid, and then you didn't pursue it as much as stand-up, and you kind of came back to it? Or? Yeah, the past couple of years, I really came back to it. You know, I, I hadn't done it in, in quite a while, and uh, after 30 Rock ended, I, you know, I did a lot of touring, uh, and then, then that's when I really kind of started uh drawing again do you do any other artistic things that anything else well even making my own hats you know it was like uh my mom actually taught me how to do some of the stuff on on the hats uh the ones i wore in 30 rock that i made for that show were very simple those were just letters on a plain hat but like the one i'm wearing now there's you know there's a flag stitched on the side there's a gold band going across the front that's stitched in and and then there's a Another uh, flag. Yeah. So the, these are things that. Uh, and what's signed? It looks like they're signed. Yeah, the, I hands. actually drew what's World on the champion. hat. It, it's it's uh, hand. It's figures of hands that's doing American sign language. Ah. But what is it saying? It says World Champion. World Champion. Okay. Just making <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah, that's what I thought. But maybe I thought. And what? Um, 
Yeah, what like about here's a drawing I just did on my phone. Oh my god, that is so yeah, cool. Yeah, so a Wait, lot of the drawings yeah, in my book. Up on the website. Obviously. A lot of my drawings in the book I did on my phone, or that's so cool. I did on a uh, a tablet with a stylus wow. pen. That's how, and that's and I, I I actually like drawing with pen and paper better, but I was on a tight deadline for the book, and you know because I did all the drawings and you know ninety five percent of the text in the book is handwritten also. Right. So because of you know, having to correct, uh, you know, grammar mistakes. Uh, if I did everything on tablet, that would be faster than redoing everything right. by pen and paper. So that that was one of the reasons a fair amount are done on that. Well, uh, we have about a minute left. Anything else you want to make sure that people know about what oh, you're up to Oh, yeah. If, I mean, if you want to follow me on uh, social media, I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram, and it's at Judah World Champ, J-U-D-A-H World Champ. That's also my Facebook. Uh, and uh, judahfriedlander.com is the website. Uh, and then the book comes out Tuesday. And, you know, I'm doing stand-up uh, all over the place. So wherever you want to go, come check it out. And it's a really great book. It's hysterical. I focus on the more political stuff, but there's just hilarious stuff all over. There's a great picture. Yeah, a lot of it's just pure comedy. Yeah, it's real, uh, yeah. the first the, one of the first ones is a, ra- a picture of a rabbit. It says rabbit running across the field wearing a human foot for good luck, which I made me laugh out loud on the train. Um, this is the Katie Halper Show. Thank you so much, Judah Freelander. You can check us out every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m on WBAI.org, 99.5 FM. Check us out on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes, The Katie Halper Show. Follow us on SoundCloud and on uh, Facebook for The Katie Halper Show. And, yeah, and we'll see you next week. And in two weeks, we will have none other than Ta-Nehisi Coates, author Ta-Nehisi Coates. Kind of a big deal. Judah Friedlander, another very big deal. Very excited about these guests. And Emily Nesbaum, we'll have, have her on in December. So we will see you soon. See you next week.